This is episode number 148, Competitive vs. Collaborative Culture, with Sejal Takar. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Outs Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement regarding our upcoming events, first one being called Survive to Thrive, Your Past Doesn't Determine Your Future. This is a three-hour event that will be held on Saturday, in the last week of July, during which we'll have multiple breakout sessions, as well as stories from speakers who will be joining us from all over the country. If you would like to know more details about this upcoming experience, go ahead and visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. Also, if you liked any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Google, or Facebook so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's get back to the show. Say, Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me. And for those that are listening in advance, I have to disclose something, and that is I have allergies. And so if you hear me stumped up or coughing or sneezing, there's uh, nothing wrong with me. It's, it's something that I... <laughs> Something that I had to adjust to. I've lived in Austin for four years now, and I, I have never experienced the allergies to this degree, like oh. ever. Um, I don't know what it is. Haven't <laughs> haven't figured that out. I know when I lived in Michigan before, it used to be uh, parakeets and dust mites. Oh. Yeah, yeah, very very rare things that you encounter in life. But <laughs> once I moved here, I I. It might be something with pollen or something else because mm-hmm. um, it does get so hot here and there's maybe some sort of grass or some, some other thing that I'm not aware of. Um, so that's, that's an adjustment that, that I have had to make on a daily basis, actually. But I appreciate you for coming onto this show. And the topic that you and I initially talked about was in regard to the competition and to be more direct, it's, it's not a competition. There's space for all of us. Um, I find this topic to be fascinating because I think for so many years of my life, I did believe that there was competition. And I was taught that there was competition. I remember the first business courses I used to take, one of the first exercises we had to do was break down the competition. Who are you competing against? What are they charging? What are they doing? What can you do differently? And then what changed for me was I started to look at competition from a different lens. And that is, I asked myself the question of who am I really competing against? Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is that it was me. I was the only one that truly had the ability to tell myself whether I'm going to stay in business or put myself out of business. Mm -hmm. There was nothing any of the other companies could have done. Because if you think about it also in regard to customers and different personas, I mean, the number of people that they're out there, it's infinite. Mm-hmm. And, and people's behaviors change. 
So one day they may not like your product. Next day they may be your first users. That's right. And same thing, vice versa. So I'm curious to know from your lens, when you first hear a sentence like that, what do you think of? How do you define competition to begin with? Yeah. So, you know, I coped with it in the best way that I could. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it, look, I mean, competition is everywhere. Like you said, Oleg, it's something that's ingrained in us when we're children, right? Like play your, when you're playing in the play school and who's going to win that or who gets the better grade. It's something that we are in, we learn from an early age and, and not to say that competition is a bad thing, right? It can right. be a good thing too. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a matter of understanding the difference between what I think is like healthy competition or to having competition in a way where it's actually not helpful and it's divisive. And I think a lot of that is what we're seeing right now today with everything that's going on with this, you know, um, anti-black blackness movement is a lot of that competition. I mean, this is nothing new. We've been dealing with this throughout history where men have competed with women. We've had marginalized group like white versus black. We've had other, you know, minority or vulnerable populations like disabled or abled, right? You've always, you've got this competition, but I think it's, it's good that we're talking about this because I think we need to unpack it a little bit more. Yeah. And I think in regard to it, it, it's a matter of perspective. And one of the things that I've learned when it comes to competition and so many other topics, failure is one of them. Is another one that I can think of is that there's so many negative connotations that come with that concept. But in reality, what I've learned is that there's a positive and a negative and everything in between to it, to anything. So it's a matter of perspective and how you choose to look at it. I think there are some healthy sides to competition, maybe the side where you're not directly comparing yourself to another individual in order to kind of elevate yourself above them. Um, or some of the other aspects. What have you known? What have you noticed? What have you learned as far as what are the positive aspects to competition? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of positive aspects, right? It challenge from an individual perspective, it's going to challenge you to do better. Like you said, your competition is yourself. So you're motivated to do better. You're going to be more creative, right? And I think there's also this element where people think that if you have competition, that that's going to create conflict. And I think it's important to recognize that a certain level of conflict is actually productive. It's actually good conflict. You need that. That's going to help you kind of be more creative and think outside of the box. So it's okay if you have a little bit of conflict and competition. It's going to challenge you. It's going to push you more. From a business perspective, you have to have some level of competition, right? You want to produce better goods. You want to be able to charge more money, be more profitable. You want to have a culture where people are they're not just showing up to collect a paycheck, but they're coming there because they really are motivated to compete and to do better for the society or community as a whole. So there's a lot of good competition. I think like the work that I do when I'm working with organizations, the question is, is, is your culture one that is just too competitive or just strictly competition driven? Or is it one where you're trying to create ways where people are actually collaborating? Right. And there's a big difference. Um, so if, if you have a culture where competition is the main driver, right, and that's all you care about, you're going to have people that are outperforming their minimum expectations, but they're doing it. A lot of times you're going to see fear, right? Mm. They're doing it out of fear where they're driven to kind of achieve some results. And it's based on fear. And we know that 
that's not going to last. That's not sustainable. You're going to have higher turnover. People are not going to be happy. The morale is going to be lower. You have people that are working weight because because the expectations in a competitive culture tend to be really high. Mm-hmm. You're going to have stressed out employees. They're working to beat beat each other, competing against each other. There's not a lot of collaboration. They're trying to outperform each other, right? Which then is the doorway to a toxic work environment mm-hmm. versus a collaborative culture where you're obviously, you still have some competition in a collaborative environment, right? You still need to have that, but there people are not going to be so, it's not going to be that survival of the fittest mentality. People are, they're not going to be so stressed out about losing their jobs. They're not going to have this like, um, like automatic fight or flight response kind of feeling. They're going to want to work together. They're going to be collaborative. They're going to brainstorm together. You're going to have different perspectives. So we all know diversity of thought and all the business benefits behind that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I tell organizations, like, look at your culture and, and is it more competitive? Is it more collaborative? And plenty of research to support that you really want to strive for a collaborative environment um, and a supportive environment where you're going to have higher morale. There's so mm-hmm. much business benefits behind that. Mm-hmm. How do you approach yeah. collaboration when, when collaborating with different people and, and backgrounds and projects? What does your vetting process look like? What is the due diligence? And I know that you and I briefly spoke about this prior to hitting the record button and the approach that you take, which is somewhat similar to the one that I take for the longest time, I would use to get involved in this process of doing so much due diligence on the organization or the individual where I actually talk myself out of action because it's one of those things where you find the red flag, something in your brain says, okay, don't do it. But in reality, I think if we look deep enough, we're going to find red flags within everyone. Right. How do you, how do you approach collaboration from your perspective? Well, and this is, you know, I mean, I I think as if you're talking about from a perspective of an organization, right. Mm -hmm you want to foster collaboration within your organization. So this whole notion of culture fit, right? We've been hearing a lot about hire for culture fit, which in my opinion, is just a bunch of nonsense. That means you can get this, you know, you can, you don't have to hire based on the person's skills, knowledge, or abilities, but you're going to hire someone that kind of fits in. I think you need to have a combination, right? You still, I've seen organizations where I've worked in, um, where I've worked at, where they've hired based on this person's going to get along with everybody in the group, but then that person didn't have the technical or the skills or abilities to do their job and it destroyed that department or that team. Right. So I think you want to really kind of look at a combination, but really truly foster an environment where people can voice their opinions and Mm. can talk about, have an open mind and be able to discuss their perspectives with each other to learn from each other you want to share ideas right there are some organizations that each person i mean look before i started up my company in november of 2017 i was working at ucsf medical center as a kind of like a complaint resolution officer and there were many times when i was there where i felt like there was no collaboration i mean literally i felt siphoned off in my own office i didn't really feel like i can talk to other people or share ideas. There was this almost like an intentional, deliberate exclusion that was set up between the people. And, and so I felt like I, I would be uncomfortable 
you know, in, in doing my job in the way that I would have liked to versus if they would have created a comfortable environment for me to be able to learn from each other. Um, and so I think organizations have to really try hard to foster collaboration within by empowering their employees. And, and that's where I think people get scared, right? That's where yeah. they're like, you know, if, if I, if I have all these people with different perspectives, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to take something away from somebody else and give it to somebody else. And, and that's not the way we want to approach it. Yeah. Well, I think it also goes back to the vision part and that is maybe the risk or the thought of possible risk that people sometimes think of. And that is if you hire someone and the vision of the company is going to change. But in reality, if you kind of think about it, how visions are built to begin with, at least from my perspective, is that you may have that initial goal for what you want it to be, but yeah. what it's going to become is going to be completely different. That's I mean, right. there's, there are going to be some similarities as far as what you envisioned initially, but through the collaboration and the shared perspectives of other people, it's going to take its own form. It's yeah. going to become its own life. And so I think that's the thing that, oftentimes maybe we forget or not remember as well is that even if you add one other person to that team, to that board, to whatever it may be, and you start to collaborate with them, the vision is going to change. It's going to take its own shape. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can't know that right until you give that opportunity to people. So, you know, I was, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and, um, you know, about this whole concept. And I just posted about this too, about the seats at the table. You know, we're hearing a lot of, a lot of talk right now with CEOs that are publicly declaring their commitment to anti-racism, you know, and, and then people are firing back saying, well, take a look at your boardroom. You know, are there, are there people of diversity of thought, diversity of color? Do you have marginalized populations at the table and i and and i think this is this whole scarcity mentality that we Mm -hmm. are we we kind of think about where it's like i mean if you look at like for example fortune 500 companies right if uh, there was a survey that was done that looked at ceos of of these fortune 500 companies and less than five percent of the ceos at these fortune 500 companies were women right i mean that's that tells a lot I mean, I know plenty of qualified, capable, really smart women that can be CEOs. So how do you explain that? And, and, and like I was telling you in my own personal experience as a lawyer, as I was going up and, 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 and getting more experience, there were less and less women and less of minority women. And so when we got up to those levels, the competition was high. It was like re- really kind of cutthroat mentality. Um, and when I, when I was kind of thinking about our conversation today and I started thinking back at who were my women mentors, they were actually, they were all women of color. As I started getting more experience, it was, I didn't have a lot of white women mentors because it was really cutthroat. And, and that's because if, if we're all competing for that one seat, mm-hmm. right, there is that competition. And what I just talked about and posted about was that, look, we need to start getting out of that mentality that there's this supposed scarcity in the amount of seats, right? Like we get so caught up in that thinking that we don't realize, you know, we can, we can actually make a bigger table. We can add more seats to the table or we can pull up those chairs that are behind us stacked up against that wall and pull them up. Like there's no limit to doing that. And let's get, let's get out of that. Like that mentality does not serve us at all, especially 
right now. We really need organizations to show and to address this whole scarcity mentality piece about it and, and really get people, because you can't, you, you can't create um, diversity of thought without having that, those people at that table, mm -hmm. right? And, and also, it's one thing to be creating that diversity, but also making sure these people feel included and feel safe, that they can voice their opinions too, right? So that's the other piece of it, is not just pulling up the chairs, but then making sure these people can actually share their perspectives and be a part of that decision-making process. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you think really, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to structure this question. What do you think really drives inclusion? Is it, is it having similar backgrounds around the table? People with similar experiences yeah. or is there something else? No, I, I think it's, I think it's more than that. I, I think it's, it's really about, um, so, you know, they, they use this example of diversity and now they're even saying like it's diversity, inclusion and belonging, right? So diversity is, and we hear this so much, but like diversity is you're having a party and you invite everybody to the party, right? So then you have diversity at the party, but then you want to make sure that everybody feels included, you know, where their opinions welcomed about what kind of music we're playing, what kind of food we're having, what kind of dancing we're doing, right? So making people feel like they're included in the conversation that they have access to resources, that they have the support from the organization. And then now we're even talking about belonging, right? So making sure people actually feel like they can bring their authentic self to the organization. They can bring themselves into that environment and not feel like they have to assimilate or mm -hmm. they have to code switch, right? To fit in. And so I think you do that by you 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 have to have everybody part of that solution and 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 this is why I've, I've you know what i've been doing before all of this has happened and what i'm doing now is the same i think you have to encourage employees to be able to communicate with each other effectively right so if, if somebody has a different perspective that's different than yours i think a lot of times would if we're in this competitive you know sort of sort of culture we are going to want to feel defensive right away. Like, oh, you're trying to outsmart me. You're trying to take my seat. You're trying to get the promotion versus me. You're trying to get the job away from me, right? But to fight that, we have to foster collaboration. We have to foster effective communication. We can't, we can't just expect people to know how to do that. We have to give them the tools to be able mm. to. It's interesting you point that out. I had a friend of mine, him and I shared a conversation during which he said that during his time working, whether it was his most recent position or the one before that, so much of it was dependent on, quote unquote, knowing the right answer. Yeah. And if you didn't know the right answer, well, you don't get the promotion. You don't get the job. And I kind of thought about it. Our culture from that perspective, at least here in U.S., what I've been exposed to, and so much of it is based on, do you know the thing that's being questioned? And there's really no, what I've learned is that there are very few places that will accept, I don't know, as an answer. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know doesn't necessarily mean that you can't figure it out. That's right. It just yeah. means that maybe you need some extra time to actually reflect upon it yeah. and find that answer that you feel comfortable with. Absolutely. Or that you just need to rely on somebody else to teach you. And that's okay too. I think you have to, you know, I, I I must have said this about 10 times last week. 
to people that I was talking to. Like, it's okay to say you don't know the answer. I say that all the time because I don't know all the answers, but I can certainly figure it out and I can rely on the people in my life and my network and the resources mm -hmm. to make those alliances so that you can. And, and I, I think here's where organizations think that there's like this one solution that's gonna, they want that one quick solution that's gonna solve it all and, and be the quick fix. And I'm like, that's not reality. Every cult, every organization has a different makeup of people. Yes. You have to look at that and then figure out what is the best plan to drive that culture. And, you know, I kind of, I call myself like the chief civility officer, right? Because that's really what it is. I mean, you need to look at your organization to figure out where are the areas where there isn't civility there. First of all, define civility, right? What is civility to your organization? Right. And then communicate that to everybody. People, not everybody knows how to be respectful and treat each other with dignity and respect. That's a lot of us didn't grow up with that, right? A lot of people, I mean, trust me, you don't want me to act the way I, I saw my parents <laughs> acting at home. You don't want me to resolve conflict in that way in the workplace. So you have to get everybody on the same sort of playing field as far as at our organization, it doesn't matter what color you are, what religion you are, what you know what your national origin is what your disability is but when you come to work here you know we have to treat each other with dignity and respect and then you have to train people on that and reinforce that behavior where if somebody does act outside of that then you need to do something about it you can't just let it go and then pretty soon that becomes normal for your organization which is what yeah. happens right that happens all the time mm -hmm. yeah. and i think that goes back to language i mean one of the reasons why in my opinion, we are where we are and the difficulty of actually even talking about subjects like race yeah. is because there's no language to begin with. I experienced this myself when I had a conversation with a friend of mine and him and I to start to talk, started to talk about some of these deeper questions. And on my end, I felt uncomfortable in asking those questions because I kept questioning myself, okay, am I being racist by asking this question? Mm -hmm. Am I being ignorant? Yeah. But in reality, all it was, was just me seeking to gain a better understanding of what his experience was like. But yet, even the difficulty of how did your parents teach you about the world? Mm -hmm. That was still difficult for me to even ask. And so I think a lot of this, what we're talking about in regard to competition and a lot of the racial issues that we're experiencing, in my opinion, it all starts with language. I mean, even the concept of racist or anti-racist. Yeah. What does it actually mean to be racist? Let's start there. Like, what what does that term include? And then, how do we expand beyond that? How do we how do we challenge, like you said earlier, the the conscious bias yeah. that we make? And let's face it. In my opinion, I think we make that probably every single day. Absolutely, and and and, and that's the thing. It's like there's. I say this, you know, in my trainings, it's like, there is nothing wrong with having these unconscious, I don't even call it bias. Like I, I because that, the word itself does, it makes people go, oh, I don't have any bias. <laughs> I remember this one time, this guy raised his hand in one of my trainings. And he's like, I don't have any bias. And then I go, yes, you, if you've got a brain, you've got some, right? So I call it unconscious beliefs, right? So they're beliefs. These are things that are ingrained with us. Like you said earlier, like it started back in school. Mm -hmm. This education is filled with competition, right? In every way. 
but then you, you, so you grow up with these beliefs and then all of a sudden there's spontaneous beliefs that you have that you see something for two seconds and then all of a sudden you're going to make this spontaneous judgment. The problem with that is that because you have so many of these beliefs and all this information that's like coming at you, that your error rate in making these judgments is pretty high. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I, do you remember like last year there was this, um, there was an incident that happened somewhere where somebody got dragged off of a plane. I don't know if it was Delta or United. Yes. Was yes, it was. Mm -hmm. And it was all over the media, right? It was all over the media. And at that time I was doing a lot of training where I was traveling from place to place. And right as I, I had probably just read an article about it and then I got on the plane. And I saw this brief interaction between the flight attendant and a customer. And I, it was very brief. Okay, like two seconds, two, three seconds. And immediately I was like, oh, it's probably the flight attendant's fault, right? Because of what I'd read and automatically. And, and I had to like stop myself and wait a second. You don't really know what's going on over there. You don't really understand. You've only seen two seconds of it. And I, did, I checked it. And I didn't let it impact my interactions with the flight attendant. She actually turned out to be really cool. Like she was actually mm -hmm. a nice person. But we do this often and, and it becomes important. Like right now, we're seeing it with the race, race situation, right? Our systems through history have been developed in this way where people, black people have been systematically dehumanized over time, right? So now it's erupted and we're dealing with it. In October of 2017, a month before I started my company, it was the Me Too movement, right? And it was all about sexual harassment and how that exploded. We have the transgender. It's, it's, this keeps coming up because of these beliefs that we are wired with. And so I'm out there trying to urge people, provide training to your employees on this unconscious bias piece because people, most people haven't received training on it. I mean, I think it should be part of law school because I went my whole career <laughs> without really not understanding it. And now I think about like, maybe I could, maybe I would have handled these cases differently. Had I had a better understanding of unconscious bias, because honestly, a lot of these cases that I, I litigated as discrimination cases, I think about now and I'm like, I think this might have been a case where somebody had an unconscious bias and they made some comment or they did something without even realizing that it was unconscious bias. Maybe it wasn't intentional, yeah. but it's not, it's not addressed. So this is a core gap that needs to be addressed in and, and, and the work environment, in the educational environment, in a lot of medical environment. I mean, you see all kinds of biases popping up in, in our hospitals, right? And how they're treating and, or not treating patients. So it's everywhere. And I think that would be, and obviously I can't speak to the language because I, I haven't been in a court of law just yet, but when it comes to being intentional or unintentional, I'm curious to know from your perspective, is it not necessarily easier, but would you even consider, let's say in, in a case or some, some other situation where the person might have unintentionally said X, Y, and Z, and it was perceived in some other way, my question becomes is how do you prove that? How do you prove if the person was intentional or unintentional? Like okay. does there have to be a foundation that's built as far as, okay, this is the common knowledge when it comes to this. Yeah. that every person can access. And if they based it off, if they based their decision off of that foundation that already exists, then maybe you can prove that, okay, maybe this is an intentional case, yeah. but how do you, how do you personally judge that? I, I great question. 
I mean, this is the million dollar question right here. This is what law is about here in a nutshell. This is what we need to, this is what we really need to get to the heart of because, so here's the thing. I, this, this is the way that I approach it is if you are in a situation where let's say somebody makes a comment to you and you're at work and somebody you're joking around and you, you know, and, and you, you say something that maybe is something that I find to be insensitive or offensive. Your intention was to joke. You were not intending to harm me. You were not intending to discriminate against me. You were not intending to harass me. You were just joking, but it crossed my boundaries, right? It made me feel uncomfortable. So the issue becomes for me, if I am the person that's dealing with that comment, I need to feel empowered to say, hey, Oleg, you know, maybe you were joking, but that's something that's offensive to me. Can you please not say that again? Now the burden is on you. It shifts to you. You are on notice. So now you're on notice. You are now accountable for your own words, your own actions from here on out. So if you do it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, now we see that it's becoming intentional after you know. So this is the problem is that people don't know when to say, speak up and how to speak up. Mm. Because the first time might be unintentional. But if once you let somebody know, I think most of us are good people. Right. So most of us, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Sage, you know, I didn't like that comment that you made. I'm going to stop. Like if I keep doing it, then we, we got a bigger problem. Right. So that's one huge piece of it. But also the other piece of it is 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 being able to educate people so that they can learn about what their unconscious biases are. So here's an example of a case that, that I worked on. There was a situation where I got called in to do an investigation and uh, um a supervisor had a complaint was filed against a supervisor where um, a, a, there was a new member of the team, a female, and she, after a couple of meetings, she noticed that the supervisor, whenever he would get to her, he would either skip over her altogether or his tone would kind of change when he was talking to her or he would interrupt her. So it was these kind of behaviors that were happening. And of course, anybody would be uncomfortable in that situation. So I got called in and I met with her and here's the problem. There, there wasn't a protected category. So under our law, in order for it to be illegal harassment or discrimination, you have to tie it to a, per, a protected category that's outlined in our Fair Employment and Housing Act if you're in California, right? But in her case, it wasn't because she was a woman. There was really no race. There was no evidence to support it was race, religion, or any of the other protected categories. So I was like, let me talk to the supervisor. When I spoke to the supervisor, within the first 15 to 20 minutes, I figured out that it was an unconscious bias situation. He didn't really intend to harass her. And because look, our unconscious biases or beliefs, they're unconscious to us. Everybody else around us can pick up on them and knows that they're there, right? So one of the things I, I always say in my trainings, I'm like, if you wanna know what your unconscious biases are, ask somebody that you truly trust (laughs) that'll be honest with you because just be ready for that answer because they they're probably going to tell you what what they are because we all have them right but when i was talking to that supervisor one of the things that really came out was that when he was a a child when he was about 10 years old eight to ten years old somewhere in that range he was obese i mean he was morbidly obese where the doctors had basically said You've got six months. You've got to make a lifestyle change. You have to start losing this weight. Otherwise, you're not going to be around. So you can think about that when you're a child to have to 
go through that and lose that weight. You know he was made fun of. You know he heard all kinds of comments. Some of them were that he was weak. He heard that over and over again. You're weak, you're weak, you're too fat, you're weak, you're weak, you need to lose this weight. And so it got ingrained in his head. Well, guess what? This employee was slightly overweight. Mm. So every time he would be looking at her or talking to her, he would automatically in his mind view her as being weak, right? But look, we were able to get in there. We offered them both training on it and, we, and they still work together. They have a great relationship, but it required some self-awareness, some knowledge, some work on his part, but it's doable. It can be, it can be re- we can rewire it. It just, we have to practice and do the hard work and challenge these beliefs that they're ingrained in our minds. Mm-hmm. What do you ask yourself personally to challenge your beliefs? I love this. I do this, you know, and, and this is again, back to how do we become aware of our own biases? Look, I'm human. I catch myself all the time, right? There are definitely things you can do, but you know, when, when I find myself making a, so if I see somebody in autumn, like right away, I have a very positive feeling towards that person, like an affinity that I want to go talk to them or I want to hang out with them or I want to work with them. Kind of like I did with you, right? <laughs> 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 to, to stop and like question yourself, you know, like why am I having this feeling? Cause we are naturally, we have an affinity bias. When we have people that think like us, that talk like us, that walk like us, that remind us of us, we, we are naturally drawn to those people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or if I have a, a automatically, negative opinion about somebody based on a limited, you know, two second judgment that I'm making to question myself, like Sejal, what is this really about? And then digging deeper and challenging that belief because if that's some sign that there could be a potential bias there, right? So it's hard, it's not easy because a lot of people, you know, I've been carrying these beliefs for a long time. So it's gonna take a lot of work you know, to go back and, and really figure this out. But anytime you have a strong positive or negative reaction, to go back and ask that question, why do I feel more comfortable or why do I not feel comfortable? Go into that, lean into that discomfort. That's where you're starting to do the work. Uh-huh. Right? And you know you're on to something. When you're feeling a little bit discomfortable or you're starting to feel defensive, good. Now you're on the right path. Let's go keep going. Keep going in that direction. Always is a long time, but do you think the journey always begins within when it comes to questioning and the growth and how we approach others. I think so. Yeah. I mean, right now, the thing that gives me hope for us moving forward, even though it seems like such a terrible time in our history right now, I have lots of hope because I think that even if it's small steps that we're taking, that people are actually publicly making these commitments and just the mere acknowledgement is a huge step for a lot of people to say, okay, I've got some work to do. I'm happy with that. I'll take it. And, and, and you know, I, I just said this to somebody on the phone before we got on our, our call right now, and I'm going to actually post about this once we get off, is I've said this statement so many times this past, actually, past since COVID started. Um, uh-huh. I, I really started saying this is like, keep your eye on the goal. What is the goal? And for me, the goal is, and I think for us all right now, is to create a community, create a work environment, create whatever, where there is culture of dignity and respect. That's the goal. 
right? And so keep your eye on the goal. So before you write something out on social media, before you write an email blasting somebody, whether you get on a phone call and you've got all this frustration and anger and hatred and cynicism, you know, you're, you don't believe it. And, and I, I always say, what is fit? Like literally ask yourself that question. What is the goal? And is this behavior aligning with that goal? If your answer is no, then don't do it. <laughs> Right? Don't do it. Don't write that. Don't say it. It's better to not say it if it's not aligned or behave in ways that's not aligned to getting us to that goal. And then if it is aligned with that goal, then do more of it. Do more of it, right? Mm -hmm. And keep pushing. That's how we keep this movement going. Otherwise, it's going to you know, come and go. But I think if we all keep pushing towards that goal, I think we can really get some positive outcomes. And I think that's a really good point for a couple of reasons. First one is I remember when the whole blackout Tuesday, I think it was campaign started. I initially I wanted to repost what I was seeing as far as the black screens, but then I actually stopped myself and I had to ask myself the question of, do I even know what this is? Do yeah. I even know what I'm standing behind? And so what I've learned through my experience is that I've been many, many times where I would just kind of join the band or join the choir and just go with the flow without really understanding what purpose is this serving and how am I connected to it? How am I understanding to it, this? How can I explain this to someone else who I may want to get involved as yeah. part of this? And so I think that's the big thing that you mentioned within that, that I would like to point out is the importance of questioning and then also identifying what is the goal? What is your purpose for yeah. resharing? What is your purpose for distributing information? The other thing that I'm learning throughout this time is that there's so much emphasis on action, action, action. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, action from action doesn't mean go and lobby and do whatever it is that you have to do. Yeah. Action could literally mean stepping into a different space and just yeah. opening up a conversation. It could be as simple as that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's my big concern within this particular time is I think we're overcomplicating what action means. That's right. And that's where people actually get lost because they may think that, oh, okay, I don't have connections to lawyers. I don't have connections to the capital. So therefore I can't do anything. So I think if, if we actually, in my opinion, can sim simplify what action looks like, whether it's having a conversation with your friend, whether it's having, whether it's just reading, not even having a conversation, yeah. because let's face it, having a conversation takes a lot of courage. You got to ask some questions that are really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. No, it takes a lot of courage. Are you kidding? Like having these conversations that we're having right now, they take a lot of courage and people get, people are getting overwhelmed. And this is why it's like important. I, I think, you know, you, you said this like twice now and I can't, I'm going to say it a third time. You <laughs> <laughs> overcomplicate it by overthinking it, right? It, we get overwhelmed because we, we think too much about it. And it could be action is, action is not silence. Okay, that's not action. Saying silent isn't action, but you got to do something. What that something is, is going to depend on your comfort level. Not everybody can go from zero to a hundred. You might go from zero to one, zero to two, but you got to yeah. do something. Right, and what that something is going to depend on your life, your your environment, your situation, like what you can do. Right, like I can't go. I wish I could go to every single protest in the entire world right now because I want to be there. I want to be a part of this as much as I can. I can't be there. So what can I do in my what's action? What what's enough action for me? But again, I just I think it's important because I've been seeing a lot of people taking action that's not 
good, that's not helpful, that's destructive, that is impeding progress, right? And so, and I tell these, I, I tell people, look, if you're tired, if you're frustrated, if you're emotional, if you don't want to do anything, then don't. You don't have to. You don't have to do other people's works. You don't have to carry other people's burdens. Absolutely okay. But don't do things that are going to impede the progress. Right. And, and so pass by that LinkedIn post if it pisses you off. You know, Don't respond. Just delete or ignore comments. Don't do the work if you don't want to do the work. But don't, if, if somebody wants to be an ally, for example, right? Like I saw this the other day, um, you know, somebody wanted to be an ally and some of it's competition and here comes competition creeping up into the equation again, right? It right. was, it was um, you know, uh, look, there's plenty of work for everybody. There are plenty of seats at this table. There is no competition. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've never been a competition person, frankly. Like I, I'm like you, I'm my biggest, I, it's hard enough to make myself feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to be, you know, but it's, it's, it, I think some of it has to do with ego, you know, for some people it's an ego thing, you know, and I think that's, I think that's another piece of competition that we need, you know, that needs to be addressed too is are the egos playing a huge part of this factor or not? And then making sure, how do we take that out of the equation? Cause egos are generally not helpful <laughs> to, yeah. to dealing with the situation. We have to lift each other up, especially right now. I mean, we should be sharing resources, lifting each other up, helping people and, and, and doing it because it's going to help us get closer to what our goal, what our shared goals are. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. There was, there was a quote I've recently come across. I don't remember word for word by word, but yesterday I was watching uh 30 on Bruce Lee. And I actually didn't even know his life besides just the uh, movie star. Mm-hmm. And the role that he actually played as a philosopher and an mm-hmm. icon, an idol to some people. And there was a quote in it where he t- says something along the lines of, if every man could help their neighbor, no man would be without any help. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so interesting that you bring that up as far as resources, because in my opinion, we have the resources at our hand. It, yeah. It's just a matter of, do we choose to share them? Which again, I think slightly goes back to competition, right? Yeah. Not even in this, not only in this case that we're experiencing as a country, but in business in general. I think, in my opinion, it's like if you get to a certain stage, why not just share how you got there? Why not just share the connections that help you get there? So I think there's this 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 conscious thought, and the reason why I know it's true is because I've experienced this for many many years before I was able to uh, expand my thinking and help myself understand that hey, I got there. I don't have to hold this knowledge just to myself. I can share this with, with others. And so I, I think there is, um, I think there's plenty of sand in the sandbox for all of us to plan. And it really just spoiled. I don't know how you start that journey of your own self discovery and understanding, okay, here's how I got here and here's what I'm willing to share or here's how I want to share it. I don't know the question you asked. Maybe you, maybe you have some insights on that um, where a person can begin. But I, I will say that at the end of the day, there's plenty of sand in the sandbox for everyone yeah. to coexist. There, there's so much to say on that, you know? I mean, one of the things that I've been saying is, how, you know, because I'm a big believer in giving people practical tips. Like, you know, I hate it when you go to like a training or a, and they're like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta be more diverse and inclusive. And you walk out and they're like, but how do I do that, right? Like, 
I think there's ways that we need to be more specific because it's hard for people to, to have these discussions. So one of the things, like I, I just said this, um, is we have a lot of people. So here's an example that I've, I've personally gone through. In, in my life, you know, I've had a lot of people that have been good mentors. So a lot of people that are standing there on the sidelines, but they're willing to share their advice. And, and, and we need that, right? We need mentors who are there to, to share their guidance and their experience and, and share their wisdom with us. That's absolutely a good thing to do. But then I think what we need is we need to go past that. We, we, we all have mentors that can only take us so far. I think we need people that are sponsors, right? So people that are actually going to help make introductions to you to help you open up a door, bringing that person to the decision table, bringing their voice, making space for them to be able to voice their opinions, right? I mean, that's something that I do a lot right now is part of my role right now is not just training or educating people on how to create these better work environments, right? So there is that, get, trying to get rid of that toxic element, but also being a voice for those marginalized populations that maybe are afraid to speak or afraid of retaliation. So being a voice for those people to get them to help be there. So be more of that, advocate for people. And then also I think we have to be able to feel comfortable in our own skin to amplify those voices. Right. So amplify them. So we need more than just being a mentor. We need people to be sponsors and amplifiers. And that's one way that we can get more people at these tables and feel and for them to feel included as part of that conversation. So, yeah, I think that's you bring up a lot of really good points and that's involving people as much as you can as part of the conversation. Yeah. What do you do as far as far as your work and anything that you have coming up? that people might be able to be involved in and learn more about not only your background, but a lot of these ways that people can challenge their own beliefs, their own thinking, and hopefully step and create into a better world for themselves. Sure. I mean, look, when, when I started my company, I really sat down and I was like, what is it that I want to do? What is my mission? What is my goal of why I'm doing this? And you know, I really strive for everything centers around civility. So I do a lot of, tra- which I think is very, I think that has to be the foundation of every organization right now. We need to get everybody on the same page as far as what that means and train them on it. But the other piece of that is I do a lot of training and counseling on unconscious bias and microaggressions because a lot of times people are behaving in ways without even knowing it. And so we need to be able to communicate that and start putting people on notice so that we can sort of disrupt that cycle before we get to the lawsuit. So a lot of, I think, training that's presently out there is more reactive and focused around claim prevention and let's prevent the lawsuit from happening. And I think that's the wrong approach. That's that's not working. It hasn't worked. I think it has to be more of a proactive approach to really sit down and say, we realize as an organization that we need everybody to be a part of this. It can't just be the lawyers. It can't just be HR. It's not just the managers, but every single person is a part of your culture. So helping organizations kind of create these cultures where they can figure out if there's problems happening beforehand and address those situations. So that's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Do you have a website or what's the best way that people can get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, my website is, so my company's name is Train Extra. And the website is www.trainxtra. So there's no E in there, trainextra.com.
thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.